take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hi everybody, welcome to, what episode is it? Episode 25 of the Life in Red podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Forsyth, and today, very pleased to be joined by my new friend, Emma Kazam. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hi, Look at everybody. that. Um, you are the first person that I approached in real life <laughs> with uh, with a sales pitch to join me on the podcast. Yep. Um, I watched you speak at, a, at an event we both attended at the Canadian uh, Nature Museum, um, and I was, I thought it was very interesting. And afterwards I, I walked up and I was like, God, I hope this isn't weird. Do you want to be on my podcast? <laughs> and I was like, Oh God, she's, I, I swear it's real. So I'm glad you're here. Thank yeah, you. Of course. Um, and that now that you know that it's real and it is, it's yes. not like a, a, a weird thing. Cause that's probably a weird thing that someone might do. Like, do you want to come on my podcast? Like, no, not at all. Creepy man, go away. <laughs> no, I was kind of surprised, but I was like, "Whoa, all right, podcast." I figured the b- business card. Fun. Yeah, I figured the business cards would like were official. Yeah, they it made it really official. <laughs> you just wrote your, you know, <laughs> life red on my hand with a smiley like, face. Oh, right. hmm. Um, we were talking beforehand off mic. You have kind of a lot of different things that I found interesting that we could talk about. Uh, first things first, this thing that I watched you talk at was a, like I said, an event at the Nature Museum, and that's because you were talking on behalf of this new program you're you're involved with. It's called Nature Next. Yes. Um, you seem pretty passionate about it when I you were talking. I am pretty pa- I was, you know what's funny about that, that, uh, the speech, so I gave this speech at the Nature Museum, um, and I started writing it at four o'clock in the morning on a plane on my way to Ottawa from a 20-day trip that I had done doing a circumference of going around the world and I finished writing it in the car on the way to the nature museum I wouldn't I remember hearing that you just got back from Japan yeah like not too long for that yeah before that and then you made it there and then I made it there and I gave the speech and I was like hmm is this gonna go well and it went great and I got your <laughs> business card and here we are and I can talk about nature next yeah um so this is a program um I- I'll let you talk about it All but right. It's to get, basically, it's to get young people involved with museums, right? Mm, it's to get young people involved with museums and how I f- amazing I feel that might museums be a, chal- a challenge. I know in a previous episode, um, I talked with uh, Laura Van Zahn about um, museums and, mm-hmm. and, you know, getting how it can kind of relate to younger people. Because I feel in a, a generation where people find things fascinating, but when you're glued to your phone, the museum might, you know, I could just watch a video on YouTube. Why did you want to get involved with the museum at, at this capacity? And what, what's this program like? So I wanted to get involved with the museum because museums have been a big part of my life since I was really, really young. Um, my parents have, when we were young, my parents took me to museums almost every single weekend. So whether it be the Nature Museum or the Science and Tech Museum, any of the museums in Ottawa and then when we did traveling around the world, we would go to the museums around the world. So going to museums and being patient enough to to look and to make connections between different exhibits has always been a big part of my life. So when I went to the Nature Museum for an event, I got approached by Stephanie, who works at the Nature Museum, and she was like, this is a really cool program that we're going to launch soon. I think you'd be really invested in joining it. So I took some time, I did some research about it, and I found that it really fit who I was. So it's um, young people, young professionals um, donating to the museum, and you get all these really, really cool benefits along with the fact that what your um, donation is going towards is helping nature and helping, you know, save the bees and the trees, mm. which I think is really, really important because, you know, we got we got one planet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's a that's a big thing right now with, you know, climate change and and you know, pipelines and, and plastics. Like that thing is those things are in the news pretty much every single day, one yeah. way or the other, uh, on how it's going. And I'm sure you've seen with your travels a lot of different impacts with nature. Like have you seen firsthand like plastic in the ocean or or anything like one that. one of the most recent um 
really hit in the face that we got with with plastics and the the changes. So I went right before I gave my speech at the Nature Museum. I went on a trip, and one of the places that we went to, uh, my mom and I, we went together. It was Mongolia. And my mom had been to Mongolia on her honeymoon, and she was there about 24 years ago. So when we entered Mongolia now, 24 years later, she was shocked by the amount of garbage and litter that was just on the ground. Because 24 years ago was a time where Mongolia had just gotten out of being a Soviet state, and you know wasn't really introduced to that. And now that they are seeing how just that area, the The nature is just being polluted. Was just a real shock.、Mm-hmm. That's an interesting place to go on a honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> they went on a, a year-long travel around Asia. So, so traveling has been like it's like, ingrained in your family. Ingrained in my family. My parents met at an airport. I don't think you can. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. There you go. So how? What What are these types of things going back to the Nature Next program like? You make a, a donation. Is there a set amount that you get?、Um... So there's a set amount. You can start at a three hundred and fifty dollars a year, and with that,、um, you get all these really really cool benefits. So you get to be invited to all these VIP events. So that's where I met you, and it's VIP events where you get to go behind the scenes and see exhibits before they open. Talk to really, really interesting people of Ottawa and make really incredible connections.、Mm-hmm. You get、um, free nature nocturne tickets. You get a discount at like the boutique and the nature cafe, and you know free admissions to the whole museum with a guest. So they have N plus. So they have all these really cool、um, perks that you get、mm-hmm. when you join this program. So it's almost it's pays for itself in like the tickets if you're an avid. Yeah. Museum a- attending, and right now this is only, I believe, at the Museum of Nature. Yeah, only at the、um, Museum of Nature. I'm sure other museums probably have their own program or or getting into it, but I think you know if people are involved with museums, this is a a great way to kind of enter a, a a foray of getting young people involved with these these types of institutions because there's so much benefit to learning about not only nature but whether it's The history museum, or, or war, or you know, just a general science museum. That you know, there's so much to learn, and there's there's constantly new exhibits. That yeah, that's another thing that people don't do. know. There's always something to do. There's always something new. Museums are ever changing. If they stayed the same for ten years, then no one would go anymore because、yeah. you'd have all your exhibits memorized. But they have things that are constantly changing and new artifacts that are being brought in. There's always something new to learn, and even if The museum didn't change. Every time that you went, you would learn something different. Right? Yeah, something would draw your attention, or、mm-hmm. maybe you you start reading something、you'd、more be than you did、mindset. before. You're older and you understand something more. I know that's a big thing for me when I go to museums that I I've seen it before and I I've probably read it before, but as I get older and、um, you know more quote unquote intelligent, some people maybe disagree, <laughs> but that I'm like, oh, okay, so that's what that means because I maybe learned. Something else from other places and didn't understand, but then I can bring it there and see the connection between the two.、I'm、like, oh, okay, and like now that t- that kind of makes sense to me. I know that happens to me a lot at the science and tech museum,、mm-hmm. especially with sound and and all that type of stuff. Where it's like、and、you don't really renovated museum. It's very nice. Yeah. Very um. So it's pretty new here. You like it? You're enjoying yourself. We went and saw the pterosaur exhibit. Yeah, the pterosaur exhibit before was, it opened. Yeah, so that was. I didn't、cool. really know what a pterosaur was before I saw that. No,、exhibit. I had to have the conversation. I was like, "What's the difference between a pterosaur and a pterodactyl?" Yeah,、and、I was like, "Is it a dinosaur?" And then they framed it to me as like, "No, no, no, it's a pterosaur. It just it's with them. It like it, it lived, but it'd be like a like a bird and a, a insect, right? Like it's a totally different species that lived." Anyways, if if you're in Ottawa, go check it out. Yeah, pretty interesting. <clears throat> It's really they have these huge models, and a lot of their information is from a museum in New York. So if you take the time to read the 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 writing that's on the wall, it's really really well presented.、Mm-hmm. So there you go.、Um, how do people get involved with this? With the Nature Next? Yeah.、Um, you go onto Nature Next,、uh, onto the Nature Museum the website. website, and you can. You can find us there. You can、yeah. see a link. There's a there's a little picture of me with a little bio. If you guys want to check that out, <laughs> there you go. I did the、uh, did the the plug for my friend Stephanie.、Yeah. Um, you've traveled so much. From what little I know about you, 
you just said you went on a trip around the globe in 20 days. Yeah. Where did you go? So we started off at Moscow, and then we took the Trans-Siberian, which is a train, and it's a local train. It's not a tourist train, so we were. it was filled with Russians, and no one spoke English. It was a very interesting experience, and mm. we went from Moscow to Mongolia through Siberia, stopping along the way. So we stopped, and we saw, we went to the border between Asia and Europe. We saw where the Romanovs were murdered. Um, we saw the largest uh, freshwater lake by volume in the world, you know, mm. so we got to see all these things in Russia. And when you're traveling in Russia, in Canada and in um, North America, we have this view. And then when you go through it, you kind of, you realize that, you know, our view is a bit skewed, which mm. was really interesting. And then we went through Mongolia and learning about the history of Mongolia and how they view Genghis Khan as just, oh. yeah, they, they love him. They, they love him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He's on their money. They have a <laughs> huge it's the biggest statue of a horse in the world and it's just sitting in the middle of the because i'm trying to think as you know an observer of history like i don't even know if how we like i don't know how you do but how i observe was he bad like i guess he was considered like you know a bad person he pillaged and go went through villages and killed a bunch of people he i can't remember the fact i, I wish i looked it up maybe you know it what he wiped out like a certain percentage of the population of the world well what the, the way that the mongolians view him is that he is the one that united all of mongolia so mongolia was all these different tribes and then he went around and conquered them all to make a united front of mongolia wow and then it was his grandson that actually went and went further so went to like china and tried to go to japan and then went i think he went all the way to to baghdad and Iran and so he and then they kind of lost their whole empire, but they view Genghis Khan in this. They love him. That's fascinating. Yep. What's the population of uh, Mongolia? It's not very big. I know the it's one. It's either city... one thousand or three thousand. I mean, one one oh, million or three million. So that's Sorry, guys. That's less than the uh, the city of Toronto, which is incredible. And um, you know, when you watch, there's a bunch of documentaries. Uh, like a lot of them still. I I shouldn't say a lot of them. I don't know. But they live a nomadic lifestyle. They do. So I don't know if you guys, what you guys think about Mongolia, but for me, going there was exactly what I thought it would be. So you have these plains, and it's beautiful, and you have these mountains that are just out there. Not not really mountains, more like hills. Um, and then you have these yurts, these white-roofed um, little yurts, which are these nomadic tents that they can uh, take up and set, like, take down and set up in about half an hour, which is super impressive. Mm. And they live this super nomadic lifestyle and about half, I think it was one third of the population are nomads. And wow. it's beautiful because you're wandering through on these dirt, not very well-made roads and you see herds of, of, of sheep and of goats and of horses and cattle like running through and eating the grass in, in Mongolia. And it was... So it's they, like beautiful. it's a very much a hunter gatherer still lifestyle, right? Like are they they're hunting and they pick up the village like where they live to go find the food? Well, is they, that what they're, they're kind of doing? Or their main source is the horses and the 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 sheep and the okay. animals that they so herd. It's like a moving farm. Almost. It's like a moving farm, depending on where the grass is greener, right? Interesting. Yeah. What was Russia like? Russia was so the people. From my experience, the people of Russia are very cold, but once you get to know them, as soon as you get to know them, all of a sudden, they're the warmest people ever. For example, mm. I was on this, this, this train. We were traveling for a full 24 hours at one point. And um, oh. there was this, there was all the trains that I went on. There was this little kid, and I would always automatically befriend the little kid because that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was befriending this little kid that spoke no English, and I spoke no Russian. So we were speaking the language of the universe, which is just playing. Um, and he was traveling with his grandparents, and after I was playing with him for a while, and he was getting more comfortable with me, and you know, his grandparents were getting more comfortable after having a very cold exterior. They invited me into their cabin. I spoke no English. They spoke no Russian, but they served me tea and they served me cake. And we were with my little guidebook trying to figure out, you know, where they were going and who they were visiting. And so for me, that's a quintessential Russian experience is a cold exterior. But once you get to know them, mm -hmm. they're so warm and welcoming. Interesting. That's so you, you couldn't communicate with them, but yet you've you formed a relationship mm -hmm. almost 
with them as you as you were going. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, yeah, and I love that um, the language of the universe is yeah. play, which is great. Um, what like Moscow? Did you feel uneasy? Did you feel unsafe? Like, was there a kind of like an anxiety in in the in the city in a way, or was like did did it almost just feel like normal? Like you're obviously in a different country, but like I'm just trying to get like a a sense of the energy in the city right because in moscow yeah because we're like as again russia big and scary and evil big and, and scary and evil yeah, guys <laughs> like, you know communists and and putin and it's all it's all bad from russia bots well like what was it actually like in the city like did you did you feel like a, a weirdness to it or it wasn't really a weirdness no there's very the, the cars drive very fast but other than that <laughs> the beautiful the buildings are pretty beautiful everything's pastel colored with white and you know so walking around russia and and the further i found that the further you get from moscow so the further we went into siberia and towards the more asian countries the friendlier people became mm. and you can really see there's a big wealth gap so the people that are wealthier live in um or the people that have greater means are in Moscow and St. Petersburg. And then as you get further away, you see that there's a big difference in wealth. And I was able to read, while I was doing this trip, I was able to read this book called Midnight in Siberia, which is this American journalist that um, takes the Trans-Siberian from Moscow all the way to the end, to the, to the last uh, spot. And while reading that, it really gave me a viewpoint of what Russia is in the modern world because basically they've lived through three four countries in the last hundred years right mm -hmm. before it was the tsars and and the royalty and then came the revolution in the communist era which was there for quite a while and then there was a transition period which they say was the hardest period that they had and then it's now you know democracy and i'm putting little air quotes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but from the book and from what i experience is russia isn't quite ready from what I saw, you know, um, for full on what we call democracy. They're not because they, they've lived through so much transition, you know. Mm -hmm. Did you meet a lot of young people there like or anything or is it more just kind of older? It was older and then little tiny like five year olds. Really? Eh? Yeah. Did, so there's not even a lot of like 20 year olds. Or, not that, that I saw. not that I saw and not that I talked Which is to. Very interesting. Yeah. So I want, um, hmm, gotta do something digging. If mm -hmm. anyone knows a, if a Russian is listening to this, I'd love to have you yeah, on. Yeah, let let us know, please. <laughs> um, so so you traveled through there. You traveled through Mongolia. Did you see any of those falconers? No, but I have. I'll I'll show you a picture afterwards. Um, on my Instagram, I have a picture of a, an eagle on my on my oh on yeah. my forearm. Yeah, really and it's cool. huge and it's yeah, it was beautiful. The gold gold eagle is that what they I have don't there? Oh, okay. I don't know. And they're huge. They're huge, but they're not very heavy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then so then you went from, where'd you go into? So in Mongolia, we stayed for about a week and we went to the Gobi Desert and we went around mm. to like uh, national parks and it was like, I could go back in a heartbeat. We mm. went from being in the desert and sand and sunshine and the very next day it snowed, you know, it's wow. a very dynamic um country mm -hmm. and then from there we went uh, and spent a, a long layover of two days in tokyo okay yeah wow so that 20 days it took you to kind of take the train and then mm -hmm. i've always wanted i know a lot of people want to go to japan they japan is a very hip place yeah, yeah. but like they, they just haven't but a lot of people it's like always on their bucket list mm -hmm. to go see japan and like tokyo must just be such a vibrant it is so vibrant, vibrant. city just everything everything that is done there is done with such precision and an art so we went through a market and all the food is done as if it's packaged like a, a jewel mm. it's so gorgeous it's so beautiful it's okay your phone can go off my mom's calling me oh. <laughs> yeah um you traveled many more places and that's what, that was one of the I've big been things we were super about. privileged what kind like Where's the coolest place you've been? Um, and that's a very broad term. What's the coolest? Term. What's the most interesting? Where did you go and you're just like either this is so cool I could never have imagined it was this cool or, you know, um, maybe it's 
this is so much different than what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some of those places that are just like that just stick out in your mind that are like, I can't believe I went there and I had this experience. Um, I think one of my favorite places um, has been. I have a few favorite places. One of them is Laos, which is in uh, Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. uh, near Thailand and Cambodia. And when I was there, I did a, I did a, uh, like a little, little adventure, and we hiked up mountains and rice fields, and then um, went kayaking and went bicycling. And you go into these really remote villages, and they serve you food, and you kind of have to flick off ants because they're <laughs> crawling on your food. And I just love adventure like that. Mm-hmm. So Laos, and it's still, it hasn't yet been. Um, commercialized really from what I saw so it was just really beautiful and from what I saw so authentic um, another place Ireland I was in Ireland for about really, two yeah. months and I uh, did something called woofing I don't know if you've heard of it no. but it's where you go on organic farms and you work and in exchange you get room and board so when okay, I was there, okay. it was it was so fun to be you know barefoot the whole times and work in polytunnels with vegetables and it's really seeing the heart of Ireland when the Irish people my heart part of my heart's always going to be in Ireland really you know so that was one of my first travels that I did on my own I was I just turned seventeen like solo 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 so I don't you you do travel solo I do I do yeah wow so I'd have I had no connections in Ireland at all. And, yeah, it was. And that doesn't make you like you just you're okay with just going and like just learning the way as you go. I love it. I feel like everyone has to spend at least some point in their life, maybe at least a weekend, at least a week, just on their own, doing some sort of travel on their own where they don't know anyone. Because you have to really learn how to live with yourself. You're mm-hmm. gonna be the only person that you're gonna be with for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? Find I've, some adventure. I've with. heard that a lot. That. When you go somewhere like where I mean Ireland is pretty like the language is pretty similar where you mm-hmm. can but like people have said like going to a populate like where you don't speak the same language you don't go and like you have to figure it out like you learn all so you have, much about yourself yeah all you have is you to figure it out and I've heard that's been such a great thing um, I've I've referenced this a million times on this podcast but. Henry Rollins, who was one of the ones who inspired me to start this, but that's exactly what he said that I mm-hmm. found. Like, I just adored it. Like, how you just will go and you have nothing else. Maybe the internet doesn't work and all you have is your, your instincts and your knowledge and you have to figure it out for yourself using pretty much what, you know, the creator or what, mm-hmm. whatever you're, you believe in gave you and that it's one of the most beneficial things for anybody to yeah. do. Um I always always find it interesting that when you look at a country like America who who doesn't their their population like citizens live in America Americans don't travel typically and a lot don't even own their passport and you can see that kind of ingrained in in their philosophy on mm-hmm. on patriotism and 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 everything and when you have people who travel and like just the polar opposite views like you just become a child of humanity um after this extended monologue, would would you, this is a, a thought I've had in my head for a little bit, but would you say that people are more the same than different? You know I what I mean? people are inherently good. Yeah? Yeah. Would you yeah. say that, like, we have more in common with each other than, 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 you know, our differences? I think we do. Yeah? Yeah. Especially if you get to know not only the exterior of someone, but... Once you really get to know them and have some shared interactions, you realize that, you know, we're all human Mm -hmm. and we all have our humanity and in common. And, Mm -hmm. you know, lots, all all of us love to laugh and we love to play. And yeah. What were some of the most interesting people um, that you've come across with, like culturally that, you know, you've interacted with that was just, you found interesting, you found dynamic you found that fascinating um so another uh, another one of my travels i went to to tanzania and Mm. the people of tanzania i found them so dynamic and so full of smiles you know that so they were someone that's they were people that were very different than us and lived we we went on this uh, little island called ukrewe and the people there are not are n- not very wealthy at all, and 
live off the land. Um, and you could really see that they live a very different life from that we do in North America, but they are just so happy to be living and to, to be in nature. Interesting. Yeah. Um, where's Tanzania in the map of Africa? Um, it's right. So I don't know. Look at a map and have <laughs> can point it out on, on the map in Africa. Okay. Cause but, my, my, uh, I have an uncle who works for the Canadian government and he's in Senegal. Oh, right I now. don't think it's anywhere close. close. She's gonna pull up a map. Yeah, I'm gonna pull up a map. Um, that's another thing about travel, and I just find it fascinating with with people who travel because, you know, there are some people as you know naive to think that Africa is a country. Like when you say I've been to Africa, well, Africa is the biggest kind of continent land wise, I think, in the world, or maybe Asia's bigger, but that there's so many different things in Africa, the different tribes different cultures different you know like dozens of countries just got the map yeah i got the map so tanzania for you is uh right underneath uganda and kenya above mozambique nearish to madagascar so on the west side yeah okay right it was very funny so when i was there it was right when ebola was a big thing but ebola was on the very opposite side of of africa and when i would tell people that i came back from tanzania they're like oh Get away from me, you heavy bull. I'm like, guys, <laughs> no. Um, have you been up through like the Middle East at all in your travels? I've been to Israel. Okay. Yeah. What was so, that like? Israel, it's it's beautiful. I every place I've been to has been beautiful. Really? I'm, I'm a really positive person. <laughs> I just love everywhere I there go, guys. There was a place where you're like, eh, like I don't need to go back. Besides Florida. <laughs> just <jokes. laughs> well i've only florida you know everyone goes to florida but, but i've only been there once and it was for a very short time with some very good friends slash cousins of mine there you go i had a blast but there, there, so. there wasn't uh like a country or anything that like it wasn't all cracked up to be no I, you just find fascination in everything you gotta you gotta go in not expecting much. You got to go in expecting the bare minimum, and then you get there, and you're always pleasantly surprised with everything that you find. Where, like, what was your longest travel? Um, like I think at a time. At a time, I think those two months in Ireland have been. So it was two months in Ireland. Okay. No, that's not true. I went three months in Mexico. That was a bit longer. Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. Was it as scary as? Trump makes you makes it believe no, Mexico is not scary. <laughs> so um, I didn't tell you this, but I am no. half Mexican. OK, yeah, so that kind of there you go. In. My mom is from Mexico with background from France and 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 Spain. So all my family from my mom's side pretty much lives in Mexico. Okay. So when I went there, I got to see my whole Mexican family and where they lived and how they are so there's a, also as in russia there's a very big difference between the the people that are wealthier and the people that are poorer and my f- mom's family are on they're not on the poorer side they're slightly more wealthy so they're not living a really hard life mm-hmm. but they are in dead center of mexico so we it's tr- mexico is not scary okay mexico is fun mexico is a, a party um i believe it like, did you have authentic tequila? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I have an uncle that makes it, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta get him up here. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Mexico just gets a uh, bad rap sometimes with, mm-hmm. with you know, lots of lots of stuff going on all, all the time. Don't be and... scared of... You know, as long as you go somewhere and you make sure that it's safe, you're not going to a war-torn country, mm-hmm. don't don't be intimidated by bad reps. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good advice because, I mean... I remember when I was going to Paris, people were like, oh, do you really want to go to Paris? Because that wasn't too long after the Charlie Hebdo <clears throat> attacks oh, yeah. uh, with the journalists. So, mm-hmm. like, the, the whole, it, I think, it, my timeline might be messed up. It was before the, I think it was before the, the Bataclan shootings. Um, anyway, my time, I'm sounding like an old dad okay. telling about stories. <laughs> um, this gives a good, so... Your mom, is she from Mexico or just of Mexican descent? She was born, both my parents are immigrants. So my Very mom was born in Mexico. And then when she was around 10, um, 
I guess this gives Mexico even worse of a rep, but my grandfather didn't like... There is some corruption in Mexico, like in most not totally developed countries. Even, well, there's, co- there's even, corruption, there's corruption here, everywhere. So. <laughs> um, so my grandfather didn't like the corruption that was going on in Mexico. So he moved his whole family um, up to Canada. And my mother, after from the ages of 11 onwards, grew up in Montreal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you told me a really interesting story of your dad's side. So my dad's side... So I'm very mixed. And my dad's family come from Baghdad. So they're Baghdadi Jews. And they've, uh, if you guys know about the the Torah or the Old Testament, um, then there was the, the temple in Jerusalem that the, got destroyed. And a whole bunch of Jews fled or were persecuted and sent to Babylon. So... The, 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 the story behind my family, which I think is pretty true, based I took an ancestry test, so mm-hmm. um, my dad's family has been or had been in Baghdad for thousands of years wow. and never left. So that his family's from Baghdad, and after Israel became a state, um, it was kind of like, no Jews allowed. So um, my grandparents were forced to, to flee. My grandmother was able to get on a plane with a suitcase a um, hundred pounds, like British pounds, and three gold bla- bracelets, and she came from a very wealthy family in Baghdad, and that's all she was allowed to take with her. And she went to Israel, and my grandfather um, had to escape, so he w- went through the the mountains of Iran and had a fake name and a fake passport, and grew a beard and was able to rejoin my grandmother in Israel. And before they both left Baghdad, my grand father wanted to marry my grandmother but she said no i don't know if i'm ever gonna see you again and i won't marry you if i see you again one time in the future then we'll get married and they met again in israel oh my goodness. a couple of years later and they got married and they had my uncle but the job perspectives were very poor so they went to brazil and my dad was born in brazil so he spent a few years of his life in brazil and then um they moved to montreal I find it so fascinating, like, what brings people to Canada when you immigrate? And I was asking, I can't remember who I was asking this about the the other day. Um, what is it about Canada that, that makes people want to mm-hmm. come here? Um, do you know what, what kind of was the draw? So for my father's family, the draw was that they had a sister in okay. ca- in Montreal. Family connections. It's family connections, and um, with my mother's family, my grandfather went to high school in uh, Brébeuf, which is in Montreal, and he went to Ottawa U because Ottawa U had a high school a while back. Mm. So he went to the high school at Ottawa U and later high, uh, Ottawa U University, um, and so he he fell in love with Canada, and he wanted to come back. Mm. Interesting. So it's always because, like, you know, I just grew up here, so like, you, I'm kind of jaded by it all. Yeah. I grew up in a small town, so even like my cultural background is so off. Like, <laughs> it's so it's lack of culture, to, to be quite frank. So it's like, um, so it's always interesting to hear like why people chose to either come to university here or I don't know, like, what's the perception of Canada to the rest of the world? Well, I think the way that I view it is. When comparing it to America, America is a melting pot. So you put all these cultures and you melt them all together and you become American. And then Canada is more of a fruit salad. You, know, <laughs> you can see all the little chunks, but we're all here mixed together. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's. Did you come up with that yourself? My mom did. Oh, so I took it from her. I love it. Shout out to my mom, guys. Um, uh, w- one thing you brought up, um, it, w- w- the Baghdadi Jew, mm-hmm. is that what you said? So. Yes. Um, your background's also Jewish. Yes. And you, you called yourself a... So I'm a Reformed Jew. So I am Jewish. I'm a Reformed Jew, um, which is, I guess, the least orthodox of Jews that you can find. I I call ourselves the cool Jews. Yeah, and I like that. No one get mad at me. (laughs) um, Like I said to you is, uh, before you, at least outwardly, I've only met one Jewish person who's told me they were Jewish. So I, I had... Never even like explored the cult, like the the religion, or or even talked to people about it, and I, I, so I found it very interesting that 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 came from you. And um, I saw, <laughs> I googled you, and I saw <laughs> you, I didn't watch it, but that you had the the barb. Uh. <laughs> what what like, I guess 
Because you explained it to me like there's like the extreme orthodox. There's ultra orthodox and orthodox and conservative and reform. There's probably some in between it, there. Okay. Um, What's the one like? Did you for your bar mitzvah like? Is that what you had to like? You study for? Yeah, so uh, a for, long time. So and... for a bat mitzvah, so it's a bar mitzvah for a boy and a bat mitzvah for a but, girl. Okay, sorry, my apologies. See, um, we're learning. Yeah, Everybody's we're, learning. Everyone's here. learning. <laughs> so um, that's where traditionally at the age of thirteen, um, you so you study a portion of the Torah, which is our holy book, and it's all written in Hebrew without vowels and it's backwards, so it's very confusing to learn. Um, and you study a portion of that, and then you sing it in front of your whole congregation and you kind of if, and you do a speech and you affirm to them that you are choosing the Jewish faith to be part of your life and um, you are now responsible for your actions in the Jewish community. Okay. Um, so like how long did it take you to kind of get ready for that? Because so I've, I've heard it yeah, takes a long time. It takes a long time. So I'm super dyslexic. So right, reading yeah, English is hard enough too. on its own. Um, so reading Hebrew was a totally other world. So it took me about a year and a half to learn it all. And wow. I had a I had someone um, that helped me out. And yeah. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so you really got to get prepared. So when you take, when you want to make that step, like you're truly making that step because it's like a commitment it's in a, order to it's take a whole that commitment. on. Yes. Um, like, and I, and you were telling me, you know, you, you go with your family still. And I just think, I think it's one thing. And as we talked about, I don't hold a religious faith to me, but I just find it so interesting. And the community aspect of it so beautiful because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, you know, I'm sure you could speak to it, but like it's together. It's, it's like a family thing now. And, you know, when other people are going out drinking and or partying or <laughs> doing dumb things, like you're you you're committed to something like a power bigger than yourself. Yeah, which is also great. Um, and there's also something I don't know if you're the other person that you met was uh, that was Jewish I told even, you, but you said Jewish. I, was oh, like, okay. I don't even know. So there's something <laughs> that's really interesting that we have. Um, it's called Jewish geography. I don't know how many people that aren't Jewish know about yeah, it. Never heard of it. So if you ever go on any travels or if you ever do anything anywhere and you meet someone and you find out that you're both Jewish, you play this game and it's how many people does it take for you to find out that you know the same person? <laughs> Sounds like six degrees of Kevin Bacon yeah. type thing. So, cause there's Jews all around the world, but we all kind of know of each other, right? And okay. there's been a diaspora of Jews. So my dad's family, after leaving Baghdad, they tra- they went everywhere. So I have family that's uh, that we talk to. They're not just distant family, but family that we talk to in the States, in Australia, in England, in still in Israel. You know, they're, they're all over the world. Mm-hmm. So there's this diaspora, and we play Jewish geography with anyone, that any other Jew that that's you meet. Fun. you find someone that you know <laughs> um what what like what what draws you what do you really love about it what do you like why does it hold such a spe- special place in your heart to to honor that religion so um my family has been taking us to friday night services which are a shorter 45 minute service with a guitar and about 30 people it's very small and inclusive um also in my synagogue women and men sit together and we're really open to all all types of people. It doesn't matter your race or sexuality or anything. So um, if you're Jewish or not, we have lots of people that aren't Jewish that come and join us. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. What would it be like in like a Orthodox or like the ultra Orthodox? Like when men and women don't sit together. When or? and women don't sit together, they're very separated. Oh. Um, the the services are very different. They, um, I'm not the most comfortable in an ultra-Orthodox, Orthodox um, synagogue. Mm-hmm. So men and women aren't see- seated together. The men leave the service and kind of do their own thing, and the women are really bored, so all they do is gossip and talk, and then all of a sudden there's like a man that's like, be quiet, and he's like hitting his shoe on the on the stage, and mm, you know, okay. whereas in where I go, it's everyone is fully part- like participating, and you know, it's really about being in the moment and singing and being together, and we do a prayer that's basically saying, um, thank you for bringing us to this moment together. And these are what we're thankful. And we always hold hands and, you know. Mm-hmm. 
That's so nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a time where you go, you can be... For me, it's I, I can have a really stressful week and I can come to synagogue, I can walk in the doors, I can still be stressed, but as soon as I sit down and I say hi to everyone I know and I sing mm-hmm. the first note, whew, it calms me down. And mm-hmm. it's a moment just to be with community and with family, off your phone, off everything, and just focus on being there. Absolutely. Um, the hats... Oh, That's yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's kippas. So the little tiny circle hats that you see men wear um, and women can wear as well. So those are kippas. Those are little hats. And from what I understand, it, it's supposed to represent that there's always a level of separation between you and God. So it doesn't have to be a little hat. Okay. You can put a phone on your head and it can be a kippa. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, you can put a piece I, of paper. You can put a cookie. When you're listening to this, yes, I am the whitest person you know from a small town. I know nothing about this stuff, so that's why I'm I'm interesting. So I'm sorry if I sound uneducated, but that's because I really am uneducated <laughs> on this stuff. Um, is so I'm trying to think. There, where I used to live, I used to live uh, in Ottawa. I used to live just off Craig Henry. Yeah. And I think there was quite a a large population, but they had the. The curly. They had the little curly hair, right? Eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what? So what? that's that's also. Um, that's something that's not really in my community yeah. either. Everyone's pretty open. So um, the curly hair, from what I know, because I'm not the most familiar with it, is that you're not supposed. Th- that's like one section of your hair that you're not supposed to cut. Okay. And I don't really know why. I just think just you're not just to supposed cut to cut it. Um, we we should look it up. <laughs> I have the internet here, but I always get distracted when yeah. I try to search things. Um, thank you for that. Uh, and I know. Uh, there's a person that you might be putting me in touch with so I can learn a whole lot more about yep. this because um, very interesting. You did mention, though, and I'm not passing over it, um, that you're dyslexic. Yes, You have dyslexia. Am, yeah. What is that like? Because I think, I don't know if it's a misconception So of, you know, what we've learned about it as kids. We don't really learn about it, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, but like... People always use it as like a joke, like when you mess up with your spelling or something. It's like, oh, I'm dyslexic oh, or something. Never, never heard that. I've never heard that. Small town thing, yeah. probably. But what, like, I mean, coming from you, what is like, what is so? Like? Um, it's it's pretty cool. Um, so I've always had a challenge, like since I was really young, I've had a challenge to read and to write, and I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know my rights from lefts. I had trouble doing a lot of things, and then. They diagnosed me with dyslexia, and basically, for me, um, I can't. It's very difficult for me to read um, quickly. I have to read very slowly and take in each of the words. And sometimes words get mixed up. So, um, and I'll think that's the word for for ages. And right, then, and here I'm a dick trying to have you read my <laughs> my my release form, not even thinking. Yeah, it'll oh, take okay. me like 15 minutes to read that. Um, my apologies. No. Um, and then, but spelling for me is the worst. So okay. I, uh, for example, if I'm writing, if I'm going to write you a thank you note after this podcast, I'm not going to just write a note on a piece of paper. I have to sit at my computer, type it up, use spell check, and then I have to copy what I wrote on the computer onto a little piece of paper. That's how much I can't spell. So what, like, what's the trouble? Do you, like, do you kind of know, like, cognitively what the trouble is? Like, where the disconnect is? So it's, it's when I can learn a word over and over and over and over again, I can spell it a hundred times on a piece of paper, and then maybe half an hour, an hour later, you ask me to spell the same word if it's especially difficult, and it just, it's, the the connections aren't being made inside Mm -hmm. my brain. Okay. And I've learned, so I've, also really privileged to have grown up in the family that I grew up in and and have the education that I've had um and I've taken being dyslexic and you know having a coordination disorder and having low processing speed and all this as an advantage rather than a disadvantage you know I learn to work hard for what I do I'm a really good student but that's not because I take everything for granted and it just pops into my brain Mm -hmm. i have to work really hard at what i do and when i'm faced with a challenge i don't give up and um that's something that i find a lot of people struggle with is that when as soon as they face a bump in the road they give up easily but Mm -hmm. i have learned that i can take the time and can take the energy 
to work through my challenges. Mm-hmm. So in a normal night of homework, say, what might take, you know, me an hour? Like, how long would that necessarily take? Would it... It, it, it depends. I, I can't, yeah, it depends. Yeah, yeah. okay. Inter- like, so, is it just like, so when you're, say you're writing like the word first, <laughs> like what, um, like what comes up? So it's just like, it kind of like the words, like, do you kind of have like the, the letters all there? I know that there's They're an F in- and an S and a T. Okay. Because those are the words I can sound out and then I have to, you know, write oh, it down. and. Okay, so yeah. the, the sound, you're like, okay, we can go there. So... The English with, language must just be it's hell. It's just so con- you. I look. <laughs> I look through through notebooks of when I was younger, and the word "of" is such a weird word. It's O F. Like that doesn't sound like "of" at all. So I wrote "of A V" or "O V." So, because that's what it yeah. sounds like. And I've I'm I'm totally okay asking whoever and whoever's there how to spell even the simplest things. I lost a spelling bee on the word "boat." You know, I'm. <laughs> that's. Like that's a a good perspective of like how maybe difficult the English language is because then you have, you know, pH as an F and silent letters and and so for someone you know like with dyslexia how difficult really it hard. must be. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But I love that it doesn't stop you. It doesn't stop me. Nothing. And that like me. a challenge. Like you're like no. Like it, you like rise above it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things. I mean, not relating these two things at all, but I, I love what you said about the overcoming a challenge because most people give up. And that's like one of the things like I pride myself on is like a lot of people will say they're going to do something and maybe even start it, but are they going to keep it up? Mm-hmm. Are they going to keep going? Are they going to... Most people love to start things. It's like going to the gym on January 1st. Like, I'm going to go to the gym this yeah. year. And a lot of people probably will. They'll get the gym membership, but then no one's continuous in, in what they try mm-hmm. to set out to prove in it lets the people who do and will continue to work like it gives it does it gives them like that advantage i'm pretty i'm pretty proud especially if anyone knows me is listening to this i have two siblings on the i'm the eldest of three and both my siblings are so smart they are absolutely incredible people and um growing up with them sometimes it was was really hard guys growing (laughs) up with these two incredibly smart siblings and you know, not knowing how to spell boat. Yeah. So. Yeah, but you you told me you you like you're straight A student. Yep. It's so a lot of work. Just put that <laughs> into perspective that a straight A student and not only so when I went to university, I was that asshole that didn't try and would get A's. But oh. I I was also in social sciences. I wasn't in what you're in is social sciences is still hard. Don't dis social. I, I'm not I'm not saying it's not hard, but it's of opinion and how you write and how like you know like I didn't have to do a reading. All I would have to do is just what I would do is like I'm not reading this forty pages. I'm just gonna okay. I'm gonna use this quote and then just build an argument around this quote. Like I didn't even read the thing. I just pick a quote. Just be like okay, you know like. Aristotle said this, and then I just based this argument around it to fit my opinion. And that was like a kind of a gift I had, and then I'd get an A without having to do any of the work. Um, but I just find that's not, f- there's facts, but it's not facts, right? Like, I, I'm a bullshitter. I'm a talker. I can I can kind of get through it. You can swear on the podcast, by the way, if you have a potty mouth. <laughs> um, um, but that's like, that's what I, I'm just really good at navigating and sharing my opinion you asked me to do science or you asked me to do math. <laughs> nope. No, no, no. I cannot do. I find I not math. I hate math, but science. I love, I find it so interesting. Like astrophysics and, and all I love science. right. Like it's, it's so fascinating. I just completely suck at it because I can't do the math portions of it. Like my, my brain doesn't process it that way. Mm-hmm. Like I used to, I would write essays on the back of my math test because I didn't, I couldn't do word problems. So like I couldn't take, Whoa. yeah. So I couldn't take if you. It was a word problem. Like Joe had six. This is simple, but Joe had six apples. Bob ate five. How many were left? I mean, that's easy. But when you started getting into un, like university math and and high school, like academic, like it just, I could like I couldn't do it. I couldn't get the algebra. I couldn't get the arithmetic. Like just 
No, I'm done. So I'm just going to write a poem about while I'll never need to know this in the rest of my life. And I'd get like two out of ten. But my math marks suffered because that always had the largest amount of marks. So that's why I could never do science, like physics or chemistry mm-hmm. or anything because you needed the math. And I just I couldn't do it. So like I appreciate a brain that can, can wrap its head around the numbers. Yeah. Um, that all to be said... You know, you you're studying. So I'm in food science. I'm at food in food science at Carleton, um, and I'm a huge nerd about it. I love it. It is so fascinating. So and that's not to be confused with a cook or a chef. It's not to be confused with a cook or a chef, and not to be confused with nutrition. I'm not going to be a dietetic dietitian at the okay. end of this. So food science, the way I like to explain it, is um, the whole process of some of a raw ingredient going on to and then having it on your plate. So we talk a lot about, um, we do talk about the chemistry of it and um, flavor science and, you know, that I think food chemistry and flavor chemistry is absolutely fascinating. But you also talk about the microorganisms, is the good, the bad and the ugly, the ones that help and the ones that make you die. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thought process behind packaging. Even having an apple open out in the grocery store, there's a whole thought about it or there's a slight bit of metal in your popcorn uh, microwave popcorn packaging that helps it pop but you were told not to put metal in the microwave so there's a huge thought about the packaging Mm. and then there's also the policy how do we ensure that what we're giving people is safe to eat and is continuously safe to eat that's a big thing right because it's a very big thing and that's what the carlton food science um, program is kind of focused on is yeah. is about the policy. We have amazing teachers. Yeah, like the things that you find in food that you have no idea what they are and why are they in my food. Yeah, it's a very big. Is that kind of like along the lines of what you're in your realm of study? Yeah, in, we we learn bit? little tidbits about everything. So it's like the main focus out of it. Like what is the main focus? I think is. Um, of the program that I'm in at Carleton is using analytical techniques to find out the the things that are in your food and the possible adulteration. So adulteration is when someone is adding something that they um, shouldn't be adding that could harm you mm-hmm. um, to your food and then th- figuring out the policy side of it. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Because as... Um I know you said you listen to some podcasts, but I'm very involved with mental health and and mental illness. And um, food is something that very recently within the last, you know, year to eight months, I've started exploring more when it comes Mm -hmm. to my mental health. Mm -hmm. So learning things like um, microbiome in your gut and how that affects so many different parts of your body, Um, you know, learning about what good nutrition is and, and mm-hmm. what bad nutrition can do and how it affects your brain and all and all these what supplements and what things you should be taking to augment you know help help your brain process certain things you know like mm-hmm. and then also like you know what's bullshit like what yeah. what's what's There's fake, so much of that right like all these things that are gonna uh, the claim to do this but like that's why it's so important to to know your stats, guys. Yeah. Um. Because because people can, can can mix things around, and whenever I'm trying to understand something, I always read the journal article. So, what I think is really interesting talking about mental health and about how you feed yourself is you know respect your body. Mm-hmm. Your body kind of knows what it wants, so respect it and respect its wishes. When you have a plate, and some people have been told that they have to finish every single thing on their plate, but sometimes you're you know you're not hungry for everything on your plate, so. Don't eat yeah. yourself. Don't eat all the things on your plate. And talking about supplements, if you, um, you know, eat properly and eat all the fruits and vegetables and, and carbs and proteins and fats, all the really good things in food, then you don't really need supplements. You can I, get it all from your food. I know. I've, I've it, that's, I guess, why I can appreciate what you're, you know, what you're studying because the science on food and on diet is just... It's so mixed. It's ever changing. Yeah, exactly. And I've had like um, you know, personal trainers on here and and you pe- fitness people, and we kind of talk about that because it, it's such a confusing world for everybody. I, yeah, I, I think every Even single for person. Me. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, 
what supplements can you take? Do you need protein shakes? Do you take all those things for the gym? Like, you know, and you, you hear some people are like, absolutely, yes, yes, yes. And you have other scientists being like, no, 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 no. And it's just like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. I don't know. So like, I take, I take a probiotic because I heard that was good. Mm-hmm. I take um, fish oil. Okay. And I take a multivitamin. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, with As a food the scientist. probiotic, I'll talk about that. So, um, with so you talked about the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So, the microbiome is um, the these bacteria and these things that live in <clears throat> your gut. So, we're basically there's we the inside of our body. I'm talking about the the mouth till, you know. Digestion. Digestion. Um, Poop. (laughs) That's just one long tube. And it's things that... So what enters there doesn't actually go in... You know, there's things that don't go into your blood. So in your gut, there's, for example, there's more E. coli cells, the individual cells of E. coli in your body than there are, like, for me, Emma cells in my body. Wow. What? Yeah. So the the thing that, like could kill us theoretically is, is it's like is always innocent all the time yeah so with probiotics and you know probiotic yogurt and things like that they've done studies that um show that yeah it can help a bit i mean it it's they've done studies and from what i have understood is that eating probiotic uh yogurt and taking probiotics doesn't do anything harmful to you so it's not gonna make things worse it's is not it, going to make things worse. Is it making things better? I don't, I don't know. I guess it would depend on each person, yeah. right? And uh, You're supposed to answer all that question. Should I be wasting my money on these supplements? Does it make you feel better? I don't know. Well, if it makes you feel better, I guess that's good for you. That's, that's the whole placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, talking to um, the energy healer. Uh, Jen Wozni, she came on as an energy healer. And I was like, what do you say to people as, you know, a placebo effect? She's like, well, is that, could that not be a form of energy? I think placebo effects can be very effective. Exactly. Like, why do you have to view that as negative? Oh, it's fake. It's like, no, no. because, you know, you're... Like, I might, I might be... Um, so my uh, dad was telling me about something that he does. So he's a doctor, and I might be, you know, breaking this, but so warts okay if you so what he tells kids that have warts is that you go and with your own money you buy a potato and then you cut it in half yourself and then you rub it on your wart and then you go bury it and by the time that it decomposes your wart's going to be gone all that's Hmm. placebo nothing in the potato is going to help you but that whole thought and then waiting for the potato and all the wart's going to go away if the kid doesn't touch it so that's you know it's all placebo but it works yeah 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 you know Right, makes him feel. Yeah. It makes him, and he's doing it himself or herself, and that's fun. Yeah, you have so, an interesting family. I do, I do. <laughs> um, so, what other uh, one of the things in your your speech that you you talked about, which I found fascinating, I've heard this a bunch now, is the the insect protein. Mm-hmm. I know not necessarily you're not working on that um, as a project or as a, a thesis or anything like that, but just some of that insight onto that subject because as we all know and i i don't know if you eat meat or if you're a vegetarian it doesn't really matter but the world we live in and our our food system is very unsustainable so that's why we have things like corn and everything and and overfed cows and horrible living conditions because we have to feed a lot of people Mm -hmm. and we don't have a lot of time and people don't want to pay a lot of money for it and and so we have this very broken system and when you think of things like insect protein that is very um i don't know the the science behind so i'm glad you're here but like insects are quite plentiful at this point yes so there's crickets so what we're looking at the most and i've eaten a cricket Yes. Good job. High five. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) Um, 
So crickets have a lot of protein in them. And um, insects don't take that much space, are pretty easy to feed. And, you know, we there's some people that feel an ethical factor towards killing animals, but might not feel an ethical factor towards killing insects. Um, so from what I studied and what I've found out is that we could really incorporate insects, the protein from insects into our food. And it could just be a powder. If you go to your, like, your local Loblaws, yeah. you can just get a <clears throat> cricket powder protein. Um, and it tastes kind of nutty, if anyone's wondering. It tastes a little bit nutty, and I think it tastes really good. Yeah, I, I didn't find it have a very big taste. It was just kind of like dry. Yeah. But like the legs got stuck in my teeth. Oh, well, if you have a powder, then the legs don't have to worry about the legs. And, but I think the main, there's lots of countries that eat insects. It's a very, you know, it's in almost Mexico, exclusively the Western world almost. Yeah, it's, doesn't. so we have this thing that's called the ick factor. So insects are icky and we don't want to eat icky insects. So I think that's, as soon as we break the barrier of the icky insect, then um, we're going to be able to expand on this a lot more. For example, sushi. You know, years ago, sushi was this, why are we eating raw fish? That's mm. not very good. Why, you know, what's going on with that? Or even lobsters. They were this, you know, thing with lots of legs. Why are we eating lobsters? And now it's a delicacy almost. Yeah. We love to eat sushi and lobster so once we break that with insects i think it's gonna help us out a lot yeah and i'm one of those people who has a problem with aesthetic food mm-hmm. like i like my food like if it looks Pretty. a little gross i'm not I, yeah. I'm like Ooh. <laughs> um but you know when when you find out all the food that's wasted just from people mm. from from that you know people like me who are selfish and like oh that that apple's a little lumpy so poof, into the garbage right not me but like okay the the, the grocery ugly stores, apples like are the beautiful <laughs> um you're so positive it's so great um but like you know the grocery stores and and all the food processors like if it's an ugly piece of food it just goes in the garbage mm-hmm. and doesn't even make it to the shelves mm-hmm. and you think of all the stuff that's wasted from that um i i don't have a phobia of bugs i don't particularly like them I, they kind of fly in my face. I'm not very happy about <laughs> Extra that. protein. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, maybe one day, but not alive. Um, you know, I'm terrified of big insects like moths, uh, praying mantis. Um, when I watch um, Planet Earth yeah. and I see the episode with the locusts, I lose my mind. I would, I would die. I would be petrified and <laughs> watching millions of locusts fly by i would die i'd be there right next to me like whoa no i would turn white and they would touch me and i would die i would have a heart attack <laughs> that is how much i don't like big bugs but i when you have millions of locusts that would be pretty easy to harvest, and they're they're so yeah, but you'd have to make sure that the locusts that you're harvesting and that you're using for food are safe. So that's where food science comes into it. You have to make sure that what you're having, the insects that you're having, you can't just go out in the air and get a little net and catch them and feed them to people. You have to make sure that the food that you're produce- producing doesn't have any harmful, um, you know, bugs in it. In Bugs in the yeah. bugs doesn't have any harmful bacteria or things that can uh, hurt you. Do not think in a way... You know, if it's not, I'm not talking about like West Nile or like very potentially harmful, but like, you know, bacteria, a little bit of like, it's not necessarily bad thing, right? Like, right it, back to the microbiome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a scientist as we've already established. Um, and I'm sometimes dumb when it comes to that, but I've always subscribed to the, like the eating dirt theory, yeah. you know, as a child, like get exposed to things yeah. and it's okay to get sick as young because it's going to grow your immune system. And is that like, is that a true thing? Like, it's a true, like wh- I'm bringing this back to the microbiome, um, but children that are breastfed. So um, the breast has lots of things that are not, that w- a sanitized bottle wouldn't ha- would you know, lots more bacteria. Um, but people, from what I read, people, uh, kids that are breastfed will have a much more diverse and healthy microbiome mm. because they're, you know, exposed to a lot more. Yeah, and that's where you start getting into the things like the um, like the superbugs. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. I see what you're saying. You can just say you have to go. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. We can cut it here. I think that's been pretty interesting. Um, Emma Kazam. Yes. You have a lot going for you, and when you're big and famous, I when I'm, to, I'll, 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 I want you I'll to come you back here. I will, and be like, I remember this little podcast from this small redhead, and you come back and you tell us all the food science stuff you're doing and all the new travel. Once adventures. I know more, and once all my views has changed, because yeah, that's do you what do you have like food. a website or like a social media you want anyone to follow you on? Or um, you're like you're pretty good. Just keep the name out there. Keep check the out name Nature out Next. There. Take out Nat. Check out Nature Next. You know, yeah. Be more open-minded. Travel, be happy, travel, experience things, and use that mindset that she has. And I know she's struggling. <laughs> <laughs> that you know you can overcome any challenge. Yeah. No matter kind of, I, I shouldn't say no matter, but you can overcome a good chunk of challenges. I believe in you guys. There you go. Uh, you can follow us, Life and Red Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram, Life and Red Pod on Twitter, and of course, Life and Red Podcast. Com. Emma, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole.